Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fully Grown Podcast, Ministry of Turner Christian Church. I am Pastor Jack. I am Pastor Rachel. And I'm Pastor Matt. Hello, and welcome in, everyone, to the Fully Grown Podcast, the Ministry of Turner Christian Church. We're all here today recording. Hey-o. So, Pastor Matthew is back from um, his vacay yeah. in the sunny state of California. Yes. So, um, speaking of rapper names, I'm starting to just, you know, rhyme things and stuff. So, <laughs> the um, audience doesn't know that we were talking about rapper names before we came up here. And, yeah. and Rachel does not like hers. So, I have to keep looking. Well, specifically because Matt just gives people random rapper names out of his choosing. Yeah. So, until I land upon something genius, it's a scattershot shotgun kind of approach. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll find it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, welcome in. This is episode one thirty three of the Fully Grown Podcast, and I'm going to remember that podcast <laughs> for. I'm going to remember that this time for the end of the end of the show. Um, last week, I don't know if you've listened to the episode from last week. Matt, I haven't caught up on it. He's yet. just making up numbers over there now. <laughs> yeah. I said the right number at the beginning of the show, and at the end of the show, I said the wrong number. And, and the then week I was... before, you messed up too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so yeah, that one I just completely messed up, and I just named a random number we so. could make it sound a lot more yeah numerous yeah. than we are yeah. this is episode really 1052 yeah <laughs> you just haven't seen it yet you haven't, you haven't found um, only the true fans have found yeah. those episodes yeah secret episodes yeah. yes so uh what we're planning on doing for the first segment of this fully grown podcast is kind of discussing a little bit about um libraries is the word that i have not necessarily like libraries in general but um, you know, just we're, we might talk about some things that we're reading right now. And so maybe that might give you some ideas as to what you could be reading or adding to your library to read later. Um, or listening to. I'm a big fan of audiobooks. Or listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. a big thing. Um, and so, I mean, kind of where my thought process was with, with that was, um, you know, in, in college, in a class on emotionally healthy um, spirituality, lifelong learning was a huge huge piece of that and um one wonderful way to do that is to read or listen to books and so we're going to talk a little bit about books so yeah Yeah, i think it's important to remember that it's just one of a huge amount of ways to continue lifelong learning and if reading is not your thing that's absolutely fine yeah but it, uh, it also if you don't have if you're not regularly employed in ministry you may not have the time to find good books and we have the opportunity to spend time in, in finding books. And so we are also... You make it sound like we don't have a lot going on. <laughs> no, it's, it's part of us equipping for our jobs. And so we're... I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm more than happy to recommend books and things. So that's one way we can help people if they have time to read, but not time to, to browse yeah. for good books. Yep. Well, my my spectrum of what I read is is pretty narrow at the moment. So if you are specifically interested in like... Uh, family ministry, youth ministry, or parenting. That would be the books that you would come to me for. Um, I am currently reading um, well, I'm, a couple books, but uh, I just started one called Listening to Children, and I wish I could remember who it's by, um, and it's studies-based, um, and it's about... Um, uh, it's about how we relate to kids. Um, and uh, there's a philosophy of teaching children that is um, what I would call the info dump. You just 
tell kids as much as you can. You get them to do as many activities related to that topic as you can. And you just assume that they're learning in the way that you want them to. And um, I've been reading books that talk about making sure that kids have time to, um, to share what they're thinking, what they're feeling, that um, kids have time for private prayer, that you're teaching them how to pray and how to encounter God. Um, that's something that, that can start at just a really young age. And um, yeah, it's really exciting and interesting to read about. And um, this is the second book on this particular topic that I've read. Um, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm really enjoying learning more about it and how we can impact little ones um, to have just a really um, sticky relationship with Jesus. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, what are you, what are you reading? Well, I am currently preparing for, um, I'm going to be speaking at the Explorers Conference over Memorial Day weekend at Camp Wainema, and I'm speaking on political theology. And so basically what the Bible has to say about how human beings live together and how we structure our societies. And so I am reading kind of, I'm not simultaneously reading entire books, but I have a stack of books that I'm reading pieces of. Um, the one that is really hitting me right now is called After Christendom by Stanley Hauerwas. Stanley Hauerwas is an amazing theologian um, who really pushes um, the assumptions that we make about what it means to be Christians in our society. Um, one of the things that he says in that book that, that is, hits really hard is he says, um, there is no salvation outside the church, which is a, a statement that was made by the Catholic Church during the Reformation to say that you can't be saved if you're not a member of the Catholic Church. But when he says that, what he means is that salvation is not about just being an individual person who gets a get-out-of-jail-free card, but that salvation, part of being saved, is being saved from a broken culture that we're in into a, a culture that is being healed. And so being saved means being part of this restoring culture. And so there isn't salvation outside the church, not because the church controls salvation, but because being saved partly means being integrated into the church. And so there's this sense that um, you need to be a part of the church and this this culture that God is creating. It's something that we've talked about a lot in the plan, that God is working on creating not just an individual person who is redeemed, but a culture, a community that is redeemed, that people can be a part of, and that redeemed community has the ability to change the world around it. And um, that's when I talk about political theology, that's kind of the vision that I have. It's not, a, people always think when you talk about politics and theology that it's like, how does the Bible tell us to vote? Or which party does the Bible tell us to support? Or how does it tell us to feel on these particular issues? But I think the political vision of the Bible is about how the church is this community that as a community has the power to transform the world around us. And so voting is actually one of the less powerful things we can do, um, ranking below prayer and the way we live as a community and love each other and, and those kinds of things. So um, After Christendom is one of the books that I'm reading. And um, The Politics of Yahweh um, is another one. I forget who wrote that one, but he's writing about John Howard Yoder um, and his theology. Um, and then um, Migrations of the Holy um, is another one of those. And actually, we could put links to these books in the show notes. Afterward, now that I've said that, I think I have to because I've said it. So if you want to, you have said it. Yeah. So if you want to find out more about these books, we'll put 
links in the show notes. There you go. How about you, Jack? Yeah, so um, I'm reading a, a few books right now specifically related to discipleship and have been reading them in preparation for my class and so that I'm doing on discipleship on Sunday mornings. Um, right now I'm kind of going back in the books to different points and read it, rereading some things um, in preparation for specific class periods. And so the, the first one is called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. That's by Peter Scazzaro. Um, and he... I, I just really appreciate his heart that he writes from because um, in, in college the, he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and that was a main, a large portion of the class um, where we talked about emotionally healthy spirituality um, and he just, he was, he's doing ministry for several years and was doing it in a very um, non-sustainable way and finally there was a, a breaking point where his wife decided to leave um, his church that he was leading and told him, like, if you don't change, then divorce is right around the corner. And so um, he just went through several years with her and just um, really re re looked like re-evaluated how he was doing uh, ministry and kind of reached this idea of emotionally healthy spirituality and therefore emotionally healthy discipleship. And so... Um, everything that he's writing from is, you know, from his kind of heart of ministry and, and you know, some of the experiences he's gone through. Um, so I just really enjoy just kind of seeing, you know, how that has translated into what he writes. Um, and it really speaks to me just because I um, get very afraid of, of, of me not being able to draw healthy boundaries and, um, you know, just really um, kind of wearing myself out in some different ways. And so um, I really enjoy reading that one. Another one I'm reading is called Distinctive Discipleship by Travis Agnew. Um, and in that one, just really talking about how, you know, discipleship is not some some one size fits all thing that you can just throw at the entirety of your church and expect everyone to grow in the same way. And so just really looking at how to do discipleship in different ways for different people. Um, so I've been reading that one. And then one that I read kind of the beginning of, because it focuses on discipleship really in the beginning of it, is called Multiply by Francis Chan. And so I've been reading a, a little bit of that, um, but more so the other two books. So, so yeah. And then other things here and there that pop up for sermons or whatever else. But, you know, those are kind of the three main ones that I've been focusing on recently. So, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So we'll put the links in there for those books and I'll also throw in a link for the conference. But oh, yeah, yeah. We'll look for those in the show notes if you're interested. And if you want book recommendations on other topics, you can contact us directly. Mm -hmm. I love to recommend <laughs> books. On this second segment of the Fully Grown Podcast, we are going to be discussing some some thoughts, some ideas, some questions of, from the sermon on Sunday. And so I'm going to start it off. Start it off. Um, I'm the lead batter here, so I'm leading off. How is our community's? <laughs> is that funny? <laughs> okay. I always find sports metaphors funny. Ah, I love sports metaphors. <laughs> Um, well, so this question here, how is our community supposed to look the same or different from the community that you described from Acts in your sermon? 
So the the early church, uh, the first church in Jerusalem is very remarkable in terms of the way they behave. Uh, it talks about them um, holding all things in common, having no poor among them, selling property to give to the poor and, and those kinds of things. And it is a very a powerful image of a very radical society. And... Um, and there have been times when people have taken or there have been people who have said that is exactly what the church should always look like. Uh, it's, it's funny how we uh, people want to be like the early church, but they'll tend to pick their favorite parts of it and emphasize those and not others. Um, and so um, like our our movement is guilty of that, where we'll pick we want to be uh, we want to restore the ancient order, the original church, but we focus on particular parts. We don't push for everybody to sell their property and use it to give the money to each other and that kind of thing. Um, and so there have been people who have said we need to do exactly that model, and we need to hold all our property in common. We need to um, sell everything and and all that kind of stuff. And that's where you'll get some of those communal um, churches, church movements. Um, and I think that goes a little too far because we don't see that happening in all of the other churches that are mentioned in Acts. It, we don't see a sign that that exact approach is the consistent model for churches that all around the Mediterranean. I think what we're seeing in that passage is that that is the way that the Jerusalem church is living out the command of God to be a community that reflects his love for others. And um, so they have, um, they have lived that out in that particular way. And, and some of that will have to do with the particular challenges that, that church faces. For instance, based on the narrative of, Je of Acts 2, they have a substantial, um, I don't know if they're right. It's not, refugee isn't the right word, but they've got all these people who are there for the festival and then stayed because they became Christians. So they've got a lot of people who were there who don't have homes, um, who aren't at, you know, who weren't planning on staying, who don't have homes and jobs yet, and they have a, a unique society that they need to sustain in unique ways. Um, so, so there is a certain there are certain needs that that church has and other churches will have their own circumstances, but ultimately that is showing us the, the trajectory that God wants his church to be on in terms of the, the level of commitment we ought to have to caring for each other. And so what I'm, when I, if it sounds like I'm dialing back on this, it's not because I'm saying, Oh, God doesn't really expect you to give everything for other people. Um, God does expect us to be entirely invested in the community of the church and in caring for others. But we're also, it's not a one size fits all. This is exactly the way that looks like everybody needs to sell all their property because then nobody has any property and you spend through the money and then you've got nothing, right? There's discernment that needs to happen and the wisdom of how we sustain each other. So it isn't to say that there's a limit to how much God is going to ask of us and, oh, don't worry, he's not going to come for your pocketbook. It's more of a, um, the Acts 2 and 4 is not giving us a rigid mold of exactly, of the only way that the church can accomplish that mission. It's giving us a view of how that particular church accomplished that mission. And we're meant to um, find the way to live that out in our particular context in the, in the best way, because circumstances are very different here. But 
it does tell us that our community is supposed to be more than a voluntary club, more than a thing where I just come in and I pay my dues and then I go home and I live my life elsewhere. We are meant to be a community that is bonded together, that cares for each other, that has a radical commitment to each other. And in our culture today, that is very, um, that's countercultural because we are, our culture tends to erode membership in organizations. It's just not popular anymore to be a real member of a group. We tend to want our connections to be transient, and that's not what the church looks like in the New Testament. So I would say that that, that element is core to what the church is, that idea of this radical commitment to each other. In terms of the best ways to accomplish that, I think that, that the Bible doesn't give us a rigid model that we follow. It gives us a trajectory to be on. So going back to what you said about um, like community groups that um, really embrace this model and try to live out um, that early church exactly, um, you said that um, they go too far. Can you clarify that a little? What I mean is it, it's going too far to say that that like that passage in Acts two is giving us a an exact model that every church has to follow to the letter in order to be faithful because that's not the 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 passage is actually describing what a church did it never says all churches must do this it's not a law it's a narrative and so what it gives us is an example uh, an authoritative example of a church fulfilling its calling and if we were to mimic that church that would obviously be a faithful way to respond to the mission of God, but it's not a command where we would say other churches that are, that are fulfilling the mission of God in other ways are unfaithful, right? Like it's, it's, so I, that's what I would differentiate. It's not a command. It's an example. And uh, we, I think there's, because there isn't a command, that means that God is giving churches the freedom in the leadership of the spirit to find other ways to accomplish the same goal in their context. Um, but one church shouldn't look at another church and say, because you're doing this mission a different way, you're wrong. Now, if we're taking that as freedom to just neglect that calling of God to provide for each other and to create a radical society, and we're saying, no, it's just, we're just going to treat it as a, as a club, that I would say is unfaithful because you're not trying to accomplish the same goal as the early church. Um, but ultimately, I think the silences of scripture are important, that it gives us the freedom to be contextual in the way we, you know, our church in Turner is going to have a different set of needs and a, and a different best approach than a church in urban Portland or a church in the deep south or, you know, like the, all these different contexts. I think discernment is, is huge within, you know, just looking at that and saying how how does this apply to, you know, where we're at in our context, um, but also need to be careful about not, you know, denying, <laughs> denying the spirits leading in that too. Um, yeah. It can be very easy to feel, you know, the spirit leading you to, you know, sell some sort of property that you have or, or something that you own um, and, you know, or maybe donate it to the church. You know, I know um, with uh, colleges and organizations, right, sometimes they get donated vehicles and that's a big thing. Um, if, if the spirit's leading you to do that, you know, it might be, um, good to listen to that spirit's leading and not to deny that. Um, but also just, you know, having discernment saying, well, this is our, one of our two family cars and we both work and we're going to donate it to the church. You know, that, that might be, you know, it, you might be trusting God greatly within that, but it also might not be the mo the wisest decision of all time. Um, so yeah, discernment's definitely huge. 
um I, as you were describing um you know the it's not like a law or, or things like that i'm re-watching pirates of the caribbean right now and just thinking of the pirates code and how they say those are more actual guidelines than you know than rules it's really more like guidelines <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's exactly what i was thinking of i i think that it's like a it's a really interesting thing because um uh, Christians are often known by their generosity, but then we often have to pair that with discernment and mm -hmm. what's wise for one person may not be wise for the next. And it's this balance of, it's not ours, it's God's. And we really need to have that perspective. Um, uh, and um, we do need to be extremely willing to be uncomfortable. Most of the places God calls us are uncomfortable. And that is in the way we love each other, that's uncomfortable. In the way we share with each other, that's uncomfortable. It is countercultural. Um, and then also um, pairing that with wisdom, but making sure that it's godly wisdom, not just what our, you know, non-Christian neighbors are doing. Yeah. And it's a it's a really complicated, thorny task sometimes to sort out, you know. Um, you know, if I have a tendency to just give everything away because I want to be so generous, but God is asking me to be wise and discerning and, and actually save some of this uh, as resources for my family or resources for something else, or, you know, it's really hard for me to have an open hand and God is really challenging me to give in this way. And, mm -hmm. um, and that is universal. If you are a millionaire or if you are unemployed or everything in between that, those are, those are roads that God wants us to walk down. Um, and to invite others into the journey. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, our, our finances are so private, you know, and our, the way that we decision make in our households are so private and it's, it's hard and it's scary and it's vulnerable to, and it takes a lot of, a lot, a lot of wisdom to invite others into those places with us and to say, okay, this is actually how I'm using my money or can mm -hmm. we pray over how I'm using my money? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the problems that we get into with the mentality of tithing is we think, okay, 10% goes to God and then I control the other 90%. But actually, God is supposed to control all of it. That doesn't mean you give 100% to the church because God wants you to provide for your family, to provide for your needs, to, you know, like when God is giving you resources so that you can eat and have a roof and and provide for your needs and also to provide for others. So it means that every dollar is meant to be spent um, according to God's God's will and God's design. And, and so, you know, some of that means paying for your housing and paying for your food and paying for the vehicle that you need to do your job and, and those kinds of things. But it also means giving to your church, giving to needs that you come across. Uh, and that's why um, I like the reference that you made to the Pirates of the Caribbean because it helps make a clarification. When they say that, they're more guidelines than rules. What they're saying is you can bend them when you want to. Like at your own, for your, for your own convenience, you don't have to follow them when it's convenient for you. And that is not what we're saying here. It's not that you can bend them to your own convenience. We're all meant to fulfill this calling. And so there's, and there's discretion in the best way to fulfill that calling in your context, but we still have that same calling. You know, God may not be calling you to give, to sell everything and give all the money to the poor, but he is calling you to use everything you've been given to accomplish his purposes and it may look different than selling it all but it's still all meant to be used for his purposes um you know like when there's that story of ananias and, Sapphira, ananias and sapphira where they claim to have sold all their or sold this piece of land and given all the money to the church but they only gave half the money and paul peter says look you didn't have to do that it's the it's not the fact that you didn't give us all the money it's the fact that you lied about it because there's no rule that says you have to sell this and give all the money to the church 
you're lying and that's the problem. So there is that discretion of what they're going to do with what the best way to use that property is, but they're supposed to use everything according to, you know, for the kingdom of God. And I, I do think that, um, that as Christians, then we can get into this place of like ultra piety where we think like, oh my gosh, I can't have any fun with money. You know, I can't spend any of my resources in ways that bring me joy because it's all about sacrifice. Well, one, you know, hopefully sacrifice is also bringing us joy even through the discomfort, but, or eventually it might take time, but eventually, but also like, um, I think it is absolutely godly and good to spend money on a date night with your spouse. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's a fabulous thing. Um, and, and maybe there, you know, maybe God is, um, is challenging you to bring another couple along, you know, um, or to sponsor another couple's date night that couldn't afford it. Um, I think it is, you know, absolutely wonderful to, to go away for a weekend and, and have a weekend with your family in a cabin somewhere. And the thing is though, in all of the things that we're doing, are we putting our finances before the Lord? And so that one year, maybe we don't go to a cabin and maybe God asks us to use the money in a different way, you know, and, yeah. and just, are we just bringing it back to God? Yeah. Because in the law of Moses, Sabbath, a, a, a big part of Sabbath is the idea of enjoying, enjoying the goal of God's creation, right? The, the sense of living together with, um, and, and just enjoying um, life together. And it also means funding that for other people because you're also supposed to give all your employees a break and your farm. And so the, the idea is that we don't have to invest 100% of resources in, right? Like a part of, part of how God wants us to invest is in enjoying the purpose of his creation. And so that's legitimate as long as it's, it's not, oh, I'm just going to spend it all on indulging myself, but in achieving the purposes of God, which includes enjoying his creation. Well, um, my second question actually involves discernment as, as well. And so um, I was just wanting to ask you, Matt, um, in terms of the the point here on that we have the ability and the mission to reveal the presence of God into every corner of this earth. Um, I wanted to ask how how can I be discerning what my role is in this revealing God to the ends of the earth? I think that the first step would be to ask, where are you? Um, I think we often start with where is God sending me? And I think the first question is, where are you? Because wherever you are, you have the ability to reveal God's nature. So you can reveal God's character in your home, in the way you behave as a sibling or a spouse or a parent. You can reveal God's character in your place of work, in how you behave as an employee or in interacting with customers or, you know, wherever you are, you already have a, a way to reveal God's character. And, and I, I personally believe that very small interactions can have uh, big power. Uh, especially as they build up. And so um, even if you're not immediately seeing results from how you're revealing God's character, first of all, I think it matters that it happened. It matters that that things happen according to God's character, even if we don't see like evangelistic results later. But also you you may see it later or you may, someone else may, you know, you may plant a seed that someone else reaps later. But I think that wherever you are, reveal who God is and what he wants the world to look like. And, um, and that, that, that matters. 
then the second question may be, is God calling me to go to somewhere that I'm not already or to to go in a place, whether it's, whether it's, you know, going across the world or going into some part of my local community, is he calling me and equipping me to go somewhere specifically to bring the presence of God there? How am I equipped to do that? Um, how can I be most effective in doing that? Is there a way that I'm called to do that in my church or, or just through an opportunity that I have? Um, and then start and start to look at that. But it may be that God doesn't already has you exactly where he wants you to be. Um, one of the things I know, Jack, you and I have talked about, um, is the fact that when the great commission says, um, go into all the world, you could also translate that from the Greek as, as you are going so that it's just as you find yourself in different places, um, then fulfill the commission. So I think those are the, the two questions and the order that I would ask them in what opportunities do I have where I'm at? What does it look like in this place? How would uh, it's cliche, but there is actually some value to the, what would Jesus do kind of question? Like how would Jesus behave if he were working my job or if he were living in my home or if he were driving through this traffic jam? Um, And then where would Jesus go if he had my opportunities and my gifts and, and was where I am? Yeah. And you know, I I think uh, another valuable question is to ask, you know, what are my gifts and my talents? And as you discover your gifts and your talents just for yourself, you might find, oh, I'm really, I, I would do really well in, you know, volunteering in a local church and, and doing this or volunteering somehow in, you know, the local community and, and there. Also, if you're looking at over your, your gifts and your talents, I mean, you might find that you're very gifted and talented in the area of, you know, maybe going overseas and, and doing missions work, you know. I mean, there's no way to say that you're you're not gifted in those areas. Um, but, um, and, you know, I think it's just, it's big to be asking yourself, you know, where, what are my gifts, what are my talents and how can I best use those for the church? And some people might find, you know, full-time ministry is where I'm gifted and talented. Um, some people might find I'm not very gifted in full-time ministry, um, but I'm gifted in, in serving in these areas, you know, I'm, I'm gifted in tech and so I could volunteer in, the, in those areas or I'm, I'm gifted in you know making connections with people in our local town that you know I, I know from the schools and from the church and from you know the the public government whatever else and so I can use those gifts and talents and, and kind of bridge those those gaps sometimes um, and so just kind of asking yourself you know where where am I what are my gifts and talents and where might be God sending me and, and yeah and I don't think those necessarily need to be uh, obviously ministry-related gifts. Sure, yeah. You know, like if you really like softball, then maybe your job is to be a Christ- a conspicuous Christian on the community softball team. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, Jack, when you one of your abilities, you you have a passion for basketball. And so you coached basketball. And that's basketball isn't a ministry thing, but it leads you into a context where you can reveal God to the people that you interact with. Yeah. And so you may have abilities to reveal God and you may also have oppor- your abilities may give you opportunities. Yeah. 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 So as we go about in all of these places, um, I, I know a lot of covert Christians who kind of keep, keep their faith to themselves. What, what do you think prevents us from, um, from sharing about Jesus, from representing Jesus in a more public way in our schools, in our places of work, as we're out and about in the world? 
I think one of those is just not being equipped, not being prepared, because it's not something you're necessarily going to pick up naturally. Um, and it may not be something that you've been taught um, explicitly. And so there are some people who are natural evangelists and those people, there's a part of me that is just annoyed by, you know, it's so hard for me to strike up a conversation. And there's other people who are just sharing the gospel every time they're in line at the grocery store and it just comes so naturally to them. But, and, and sometimes we feel the pressure that that's what a, what a true Christian looks like, but that's actually a person who's gifted for evangelism. Um, for other people, it's, I mean, it's going to be a challenge and also reflecting God's nature isn't, doesn't always look like a gospel presentation. Um, sometimes it's just behaving with integrity. Um, but I think that part of the challenge, uh, assuming the best about everybody would be simply, we don't know how to do it. And we need to actually take time to think through, like one of the things I've been reading on, um, on evangelism to prepare for um, some things that, that I like to do th through the church to encourage evangelism. One of the things they say is if you want to be able to tell your story, you got to practice your story. Because if you're trying to tell your testimony just off the top of your head, um, you're going to get lost, especially if you need to do it in 30 seconds. So um, there's authors who recommend like write out your 30 second testimony and practice it just so that you know how you're going to tell it. Because it's hard. It is really hard to tell your story quickly. If you've ever been asked to do it at, at uh, campfire, at, <laughs> if you had the experience of like telling your story and you realize you went really, really long, because um, it's, it's hard. It happened I think, to me. Yeah. Yeah. It happened to me too. 45 minutes for a 20 minute segment. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I went long. So, so um, just preparing for it and, and equipping yourself for it and finding people to equip you for it can help. But I think another, another not so benevolent reason why we struggle with that is because it's not actually in our agenda. Our agenda is to um, look good for other people, impress other people. Our agenda is to keep our heads down and just get through the day. You know, we have other priorities. Maybe we're, you know, maybe we, in the case where reflecting God means behaving with integrity, we're tempted because we actually want to be able to find the easiest way to make that money or to cut that corner, or, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think that's the, 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 uh, the other side of it is not that we're not prepared, but that we don't actually have God's priorities in mind. And if we're going to reflect God into the world, that means behaving according to his priorities. That means doing the right thing, even when it's harder for us, when it's going to cause problems, when it's going to, um, you know, when it's going to cause tension, when, you know, in all those situations, we're prioritizing what God wants over what is easy or convenient for us. And that's hard. And we're never, we're, you know, uh, if you're not doing that perfectly, that puts you in the same category as every other human being other than Jesus. That that's, I, I think it was hard for Jesus too. That's why he, you know, we see that in the garden. Um, it wasn't that it was easy for him. It was just that he succeeded. Um, so it's, it's a struggle that we're all going to fight, but I think that that's, those are the big reasons we're not prepared or we don't have the same priorities. I think that be, being not prepared one is, is a big one. Um, you know, a lot of what I've been reading recently in, in terms of discipleship is focused on this idea that the church for so long has valued knowledge and doing more than being. And um, 
I just I find that to be so true sometimes, um, you know, and the more I talk with people who feel as though, you know, they, you know, are not capable of of evangelizing to others or telling others about Jesus. It comes with this idea of I don't know enough. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know enough scriptures off the top of my head. I don't know. You know, I haven't taken classes to do it or or whatever else that might be. And I just started to realize, like, wow, we we really value, you know, knowledge so much in the church when um, in reality, those who knew the most in Scripture were the ones who wanted Jesus dead. Um, So it's kind of, uh, you know, and so one of the books that I'm reading is kind of this idea of, you know, instead of this idea of, of, you know, passing along so much information and just getting them doing things, let's be with them, you know, let's be with God with them and show them what it kind of actually looks like to live with, uh, with Christ and to actually, you know, be living and, and being with God um, as opposed to just focusing on knowledge and, and just doing all the things that, you know, ministry entails or telling someone about Jesus entails. Um, let's, let's be with them. And in that transformational change will happen um, and they'll become more equipped that way than if you just have all the classes ever that, you know, teach them how to do and what to know and, um, and things of that nature. And so that's, but I, I do find in conversations a lot of the time, it's the not, it's the not, you know, kind of understanding of, of how to do it or feeling like they don't know how to do it. Um, cause in reality, there's a lot of people that are, are equipped to tell people about Jesus that don't feel like they're equipped to tell people about Jesus because they don't feel like they know enough when in reality it's like, do you, do you know and love Jesus? Do you know who he is? Do you have a relationship with him? Great. Tell people about that relationship that you have with him. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah. That actually sounds like a good, unless Rachel, you had something else. That sounds like a good point to call an audible and have you ask your second question about um, effective ways to share the gospel. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what are effective ways to share the gospel, Matt? <laughs> no, um, I, I love what you said um, so much, though, Jack, because one of the questions that I've always hated, I hate it, but I'm going to say it now, which is, did you spend more time talking about God this week or talking to God? <laughs> and um, I hate That's that question. <laughs> it hurts. Um, uh, but I, um, what I'm always struck by is that, uh, is that um, the tangible presence of God in others is not related to the amount of um, study that they've done. It's related to the amount of time that they spend with God. And for some of them in their natural gifts and talents and passions, that will be study, you know, that will be um, yeah. that, 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 you know, they do deep dive into the Greek and Hebrew and God delights in their curiosity and the way that they're using their brain in that way. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And um, for, you know, for other people, it's, it's, it's sitting in and, and, you know, listening to, um, you know, listening to uh, um, the Bible on audiobook and, and just, you know, deeply pondering maybe the same scripture over and over again and letting it resonate in their hearts and minds or, or drawing it, you know, in image form. And that's how they worship God. And, um, and uh, 
I, I think that when we are witnessing to others about Jesus, one, one question that's always in my mind is, what am I actually inviting people into? Am I inviting people into a hurried, stressed out life or I'm, you know, desperately trying to do everything and trying to be in control, but I talk a lot about Jesus. And so it looks like maybe I'm pointing people to him. Or am I inviting people into the relationship that I have with Jesus, the community that I have with Jesus? Because honestly, that's not that hard of a sell. <laughs> hey, I have the savior of the world that I talk to for, you know, mm -hmm. all day long. And I have a community of other people that love him passionately. And this is how we love and serve yeah. each other. And, and I know it's not quite that simple, but it kind of is in some ways, you know. And um, and so I'm, I am curious as to what you'll say, Matt, because I do think there's a lot of very practical tips and tricks to, to living out evangelism. But in a, in a philosophy of it, I think I would say that it's easier when we're spending time with God. And actually, that sets up very well what I was going to say in response to that question. I think that to, um, what I was taught as a kid uh, about sharing the gospel was that sharing the gospel was sharing a doctrine. And a lot of the, the, the systems that we have, the mnemonic devices that we have for sharing the gospel are about explaining a system. You know, the wordless book, the Romans row, these different ways that you can explain um, the, the, and I, I talked about this during the Easter sermon when we talk about why Jesus's death has to do with me. Um, and we have this logical argumentation of the laws of the universe, like the moral laws of the universe that mean that if you've ever done anything wrong, then you automatically deserve to die. But if one person who hasn't done anything wrong dies, then everybody else can get a jail out of, get out of jail free card. And sharing the gospel means convincing someone that that is the law of the universe. That's not what the Bible actually is, because the Bible doesn't anywhere lay out that law of the universe. The Bible tells us a story. And my point in the, in the Easter sermon was that the, the way the Bible reveals to us that the, the problem of sin has been resolved is through the story. The fact that Jesus is alive means somehow God resolved it in his own way, in his cosmic calculus. It doesn't show us the math. It shows us the resurrection. And so what we're inviting people into when we share the gospel, it's not a doctrine, it's a story. And I think personally, I think that that is the most authentic and accurate. And I think it would be the most effective way to share the gospel would be to sh bring people into the story, which means sh revealing to them the character of God, his motivation and what he wants and his goals and mission. Um, you know, getting them into the plot of the story. This is what God wants to do in the world. And this is what he's inviting us to be a part of. These are the obstacles in the way. These are the, the ways that we overcome that, that, that we join with him. Um, and that, and when you share it as a story, then that also means bringing people into the relationship of the characters in that story, that you're not, the, the goal isn't to convince them of these doctrines um, but the goal is to get them to fall in love with these characters who are real. I say character because they're part of a story, but they're they're real people. You know, God is real and Jesus is real. And we want to fall in love with who he is and be drawn into relationship because that's what the story is about. And so if we can invite people into that, then honestly, I, I think, you know, we disagree so much on the doctrine that underscores all of that. But we don't disagree nearly as much on the story. 
And as long as we're part of the same story, I'm happy to disagree with people on the doctrine that makes that explains it, the math, the calculus and all that. I don't need to get you to come to, to agree with me on that. But what I want you to agree on is who Jesus is and having how important a relationship with with him is. And what I want you what I want people to agree to is to join Jesus on that journey. Um, so I think that would be the best way to share the gospel in our current culture, because we just in the past, we could rely on people to have been primed by our culture to think in gospel ways. They were taught that way, that calculus, that way of thinking about the world. And people already had a sense that they were sinful because the culture told them that and that kind of thing. We can't assume people are based in already know, have that logic built into them. So we need to invite them into the story. Um, and I, I find the story so much more appealing than the doctrine. I find it so much more inviting and so much more exciting than just the doctrine. So, well, and I think you know one of the the rare and I, it's it's very rare things that happen is um, randomly, you know, going out on the street and reasoning with someone and reasoning them to to Jesus. Yeah, I, it's exciting. And I think, you know, it gets your, your blood pump and you're like, oh, that's exciting. But that is just so, so, so rare that that actually happens. Typically, what I find happens when you try to reason someone to Jesus is they get more and more defiant and say, no, I, I believe what I believe. Why are you trying to change me? Um, but building relationship with someone and inviting them into the story and saying, hey, I just I just want to love you. You know, I just mm -hmm. want to be your friend. Um, I just want to get to know you. I feel like. You know, those are the times where I, I feel like people are most often, you know, more receptive to hear about the story, to hear about Jesus and to hear about who he is. Um, and and yeah, I, th I think it just um, I think the approach can just really depend. And, and one of the things that I was hearing and what you were just saying was when we approach someone on the street. It, it's about us. It's not about that other person mm, often, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, I'm going to go do great, great things for Jesus today. Yeah. And I'm going to show off what yeah, I know. And, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to argue someone to the Lord. And, and I think, I think you could be walking down the street and, and the Holy Spirit could absolutely convict you. Hey, yeah. that guy standing there, go up and start a conversation. Yeah. You might be terrified. You might start talking and maybe, maybe it'll be the perfect moment. Um, but that's, um, the spirit prompting you out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. not you going and doing big things yeah, for Jesus yeah. just because you feel like it that day. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know that um, a really um, strange circumstance in my life was I was on a train trapped in the snow in 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 northern Scotland and and had an opportunity to share about the Lord with someone in mm -hmm. in just a totally unexpected way. Yeah. Um, but it was a it was such a natural conversation, you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't force it. I didn't lead it there and God provided a moment. Yeah. And, um, and that could be, you know, with a cashier or standing in line with someone or, you know, but, um, is your heart like, wow, God, can you provide me an opportunity in this conversation? Yeah. Is your heart like, well, I'm going to be able to go to Bible study tonight <laughs> yeah. and tell everybody that yeah. I evangelized. <laughs> Yeah. Discern discernment is huge within that. So yes. I, I don't know if you guys have seen this video that made its way around social media recently where, um, uh, I mean, you just traveled on a plane with children. Uh -huh. Assume that wasn't the most pleasant of times. And it was, you know, probably minorly stressful at times, if not majorly stressful at times. But Our kids are pretty good. But, yeah, there's yeah, always yeah. stress there. Yeah. So if you're 
not a believer and you're going through that time and you're traveling, would it be awesome to have your flight delayed while you're on the plane and then people just break out and worship songs and kind of force you to be hearing what their beliefs are and, and things of that nature? Probably not. I personally would not be in my most receptive state in that moment. Yeah, I, neither would I. But that's something that happened and it made its way around social media. And, you know, people are just kind of tearing it apart, saying, you know, just how upset they would be if they were on that plane. Right. And it's not necessarily something where I'm saying, you know, like, oh, they're they're terrible for doing that, blah, blah, blah. But might not have been the right time, you know, and there might be some people who really, um, you know, disliked what they did um didn't want to hear it in that moment but naturally things coming up you know like there's some times where naturally i just start talking to the person who's sitting next to me on a plane right and just naturally you know one of the questions that's most often asked is well what do you do for a living you know and i'm a pastor and oh tell me about that you know naturally it's just it's come up in conversation I'm typically a little bit more uncomfy just sharing who I am and, you know, what I do and, and all that stuff and what I believe with people randomly that I've just met. Um, but sometimes it just comes up in conversation and sounds like for you, it pretty naturally came up. Um, but I tend to find that people don't like things being forced upon them. So, yeah. Well, and I think I, w I was thinking about a, um, an analogy here. I think that there's a difference. We often approach sharing the gospel like we're trying to get people to sign a petition which nobody likes, right? Like my favorite, like uh, it was such a relief in California to be able to tell the person I was passing that I'm not a voter, I'm not a registered voter in California. I could just walk past. What if instead of approaching it, like trying to get people to sign a petition, we were approaching it like sharing our favorite book series with people. Like what we love about our favorite movie series or our fa like what we love about the characters and why we care so much about it. Like when you've talked to you can talk to a fan of something and and understand why they love it, even if you don't end up loving it yourself, um, because that's infectious and you fall in love with the characters and what the story means and how it gives purpose to things and, and casts a vision. It's a totally different experience than being asked to sign a petition. I, I will, I completely agree with you. I will say, though, that um, we can't necessarily base whether or not we've been faithful to the Lord based on the reaction of the person that we're sharing with. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Because yeah. we see examples um, in the New Testament of people being faithful to the Lord and then others trying to kill them or actually killing them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so, you know, you might feel very convicted or a natural opportunity might come up and and you're praying and you're being faithful and you 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 share with someone and you're you're caring about this person and you're loving them, whether it's a stranger or someone you deeply, deeply know. And and they respond in anger or hatred or upset or they, you know, delete you on Facebook or you're not welcome in their home anymore. And you're just like confused. I thought I was being faithful and you still might have been, you yeah. know, you know, if, if God prompts you to do something, you you do it. And and. The other person, you know, God is responsible for them. Yeah. You're not responsible for for um, for their reaction. You are just responsible to be faithful to what God calls you to. Yeah, the example I like for that is comparing Jonah and Jeremiah, because Jonah is like this unfaithful prophet and has the greatest respect. And he preaches to the the city of evil, and everybody repents. He preaches the worst sermon ever. They all <laughs> repent. Jeremiah spends his entire career preaching to jerusalem the city of god and gets rejected they try to kill him you know just constant failure and yet he is incredibly faithful mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, so as we go about in all of these places, um, I, I know a lot of covert Christians who kind of keep keep their faith to themselves. What, what do you think prevents us from, um, from sharing about Jesus, from representing Jesus in a more public way in our schools, in our places of work, as we're out and about in the world? I think one of those is just not being equipped, not being prepared, because it's not something you're necessarily going to pick up naturally. Um, and it may not be something that you've been taught um, explicitly. And so there are some people who are natural evangelists and those people, there's a part of me that is just annoyed by, you know, it's so hard for me to strike up a conversation. And there's other people who are just sharing the gospel every time they're in line at the grocery store and it just comes so naturally to them. But, and, and sometimes we feel the pressure that that's what a, what a true Christian looks like, but that's actually a person who's gifted for evangelism. Um, for other people, it's, I mean, it's going to be a challenge and also reflecting God's nature isn't, doesn't always look like a gospel presentation. Um, sometimes it's just behaving with integrity. Um, but I think that part of the challenge, uh, assuming the best about everybody would be simply, we don't know how to do it. And we need to actually take time to think through, like one of the things I've been reading on, um, on evangelism to prepare for um, some things that, that I like to do th through the church to encourage evangelism. One of the things they say is if you want to be able to tell your story, you got to practice your story. Because if you're trying to tell your testimony just off the top of your head, um, you're going to get lost, especially if you need to do it in 30 seconds. So um, there's authors who recommend like write out your 30 second testimony and practice it just so that you know how you're going to tell it. Because it's hard. It is really hard to tell your story quickly. If you've ever been asked to do it at, at uh, campfire, at <laughs> if you had the experience of like telling your story and you realize you went really, really long, because um, it's, it's hard. It happened I think, to me. Yeah. Yeah. It happened to me too. 45 minutes for a 20 minute se segment. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ouch. It's, yeah, I went long. So, so um, just preparing for it and, and equipping yourself for it and finding people to equip you for it can help. But I think another, another not so benevolent reason why we struggle with that is because it's not actually in our agenda. Our agenda is to um, look good for other people, impress other people. Our agenda is to keep our heads down and just get through the day. You know, we have other priorities. Maybe we're, you know, maybe we, in the case where reflecting God means behaving with integrity, we're tempted because we actually want to be able to find the easiest way to make that money or to cut that corner, or, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think that's the, 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 uh, the other side of it is not that we're not prepared, but that we don't actually have God's priorities in mind. And if we're going to reflect God into the world, that means behaving according to his priorities. That means doing the right thing, even when it's harder for us, when it's going to cause problems, when it's going to, um, you know, when it's going to cause tension, when, you know, in all those situations, we're prioritizing what God wants over what is easy or convenient for us. And that's hard. And we're never, we're, you know, uh, if you're not doing that perfectly, that puts you in the same category as every other human being other than Jesus. That that's, I, I think it was hard for Jesus too. That's why he, we see that in the garden. Um, it wasn't that it was easy for him. It was just that he succeeded. Um, so it's, it's a struggle that we're all going to fight, but I think that that's, those are the big reasons we're not prepared or we don't have the same priorities. And I think that be, being not prepared one is, is a big one. 
um, you know, a lot of what I've been reading recently in, in terms of discipleship is focused on this idea that the church for so long has valued knowledge and doing more than being. And um, I just, I find that to be so true sometimes, um, you know, and the more I talk with people who feel as though, you know, they, you know, are not capable of, of evangelizing to others or telling others about Jesus, it comes with this idea of, I don't know enough. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know enough scriptures off the top of my head. I don't know, you know, I haven't taken classes to do it or, or whatever else that might be. And I just started to realize like, wow, we, we really value, you know, knowledge so much in the church when um, in reality, those who knew the most in scripture were the ones who wanted Jesus dead. <laughs> um, so it, it's kind of a, uh, you know, and so one of the books that I'm reading is kind of this idea of, you know, instead of this idea of, of you know, passing along so much information and just getting them doing things, let's be with them, you know, let's be with God with them and show them what it kind of actually looks like to live with, uh, with Christ and to actually, you know, be living and, and being with God. Um, as opposed to just focusing on knowledge and, and just doing all the things that, you know, ministry entails or telling someone about Jesus entails. Um, let's, let's be with them. And in that, transformational change will happen, um, and they'll become more equipped that way than if you just have all the classes ever that, you know, teach them how to do and what to know and, um, and things of that nature. And so that's, but I, I do find in conversations a lot of the time, it's the not, it's the not, you know, kind of understanding of, of how to do it or feeling like they don't know how to do it. Um, cause in reality, there's a lot of people that are, are equipped to tell people about Jesus that don't feel like they're equipped to tell people about Jesus because they don't feel like they know enough when in reality it's like, do you, do you know and love Jesus? Do you know who he is? Do you have a relationship with him? Great. Tell people about that relationship that you have with him. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah. That actually sounds like a good, unless Rachel, you had something else. That sounds like a good point to call an audible and have you ask your second question about um, effective ways to share the gospel. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what are effective ways to share the gospel, Matt? <laughs> no, um, I, I love what you said um, so much, though, Jack, because one of the questions that I've always hated I hate it, but I'm going to say it now, which is, did you spend more time talking about God this week or talking to God? <laughs> and um, I hate That's that question. <laughs> it hurts. Um, uh, but I, um, what I'm always struck by is that, uh, is that um, the tangible presence of God in others is not related to the amount of um, study that they've done. It's related to the amount of time that they spend with God. And for some of them in their natural gifts and talents and passions, that will be study, you know, that will be, um, yeah. that, 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 you know, they do deep dive into the Greek and Hebrew and God delights in their curiosity and the way that they're using their brain in that way. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And um, for, you know, for other people, it's, it's, it's sitting in and, and, 
you know, listening to, um, you know, listening to um, the Bible on audiobook and, and just, you know, deeply pondering maybe the same scripture over and over again and letting it resonate in their hearts and minds or, or drawing it, you know, in image form. And that's how they worship God. And, um, and uh, I, I think that when we are witnessing to others about Jesus, one, one question that's always in my mind is, what am I actually inviting people into? Am I inviting people into a hurried, stressed out life where I'm, you know, desperately trying to do everything and trying to be in control, but I talk a lot about Jesus. And so it looks like maybe I'm pointing people to him. Or am I inviting people into the relationship that I have with Jesus, the community that I have with Jesus? Because honestly, that's not that hard of a sell. <laughs> hey, I have the savior of the world that I talk to for, you know, mm -hmm. all day long. And I have a community of other people that love him passionately. And this is how we love and serve yeah. each other. And, and I know it's not quite that simple, but it kind of is in some ways, you know. And um, and so I'm, I am curious as to what you'll say, Matt, because I do think there's a lot of very practical tips and tricks to, to living out evangelism. But in a, in a philosophy of it, I think I would say that it's easier when we're spending time with God. And actually, that sets up very well what I was going to say in response to that question. I think that to, um, what I was taught as a kid uh, about sharing the gospel was that sharing the gospel was sharing a doctrine. And a lot of the, the, the systems that we have, the mnemonic devices that we have for sharing the gospel are about explaining a system. You know, the wordless book, the Romans row, these different ways that you can explain um, the, the, and I, I talked about this during the Easter sermon and when we talk about why Jesus's death has to do with me. Um, and we have this logical argumentation of the laws of the universe, like the moral laws of the universe that mean that if you've ever done anything wrong, then you automatically deserve to die. But if one person who hasn't done anything wrong dies, then everybody else can get a jail out of, get out of jail free card. And sharing the gospel means convincing someone that that is the law of the universe. That's not what the Bible actually is, because the Bible doesn't anywhere lay out that law of the universe. The Bible tells us a story. And my point in the, in the Easter sermon was that the, the way the Bible reveals to us that the, the problem of sin has been resolved is through the story. The fact that Jesus is alive means somehow God resolved it in his own way, in his cosmic calculus. It doesn't show us the math. It shows us the resurrection. And so what we're inviting people into when we share the gospel, it's not a doctrine, it's a story. And I think personally, I think that that is the most authentic and accurate. And I think it would be the most effective way to share the gospel would be to sh sh bring people into the story, which means sh revealing to them the character of God, his motivation and what he wants and his goals and mission. Um, you know, getting them into the plot of the story. This is what God wants to do in the world. And this is what he's inviting us to be a part of. These are the obstacles in the way. These are the, the ways that we overcome that, that, that we join with him. Um, and that, and when you share it as a story, then that also means bringing people into the relationship of the characters in that story, that you're not, the, the goal isn't to convince them of these doctrines, um, but the goal is to get them to fall in love with these characters who are real. I say character because they're part of a story, but they're they're real people. You know, God is real and Jesus is real. And we want to fall in love with who he is and be drawn into relationship because that's what the story is about. 
And so if we can invite people into that, then honestly, I, I think, you know, we disagree so much on the doctrine that underscores all of that, but we don't disagree nearly as much on the story. And as long as we're part of the same story, I'm happy to disagree with people on the doctrine that makes that explains it, the math, the calculus and all that. I don't need to get you to come to, to agree with me on that. But what I want you to agree on is who Jesus is and having how important a relationship with with him is. And what I want you what I want people to agree to is to join Jesus on that journey. Um, so I think that would be the best way to share the gospel in our current culture, because we just in the past, we could rely on people to have been primed by our culture to think in gospel ways. They were taught that way, that calculus, that way of thinking about the world. And people already had a sense that they were sinful because the culture told them that and that kind of thing. We can't assume people are based in already know, have that logic built into them. So we need to invite them into the story. Um, and I, I find the story so much more appealing than the doctrine. I find it so much more inviting and so much more exciting than just the doctrine. So, well, and I think you know one of the the rare and I, it's it's very rare things that happen is um, randomly, you know, going out on the street and reasoning with someone and reasoning them to to Jesus. Yeah, I, it's exciting. And I think, you know, it gets your, your blood pump and you're like, oh, that's exciting. But that is just so, so, so rare that that actually happens. Typically, what I find happens when you try to reason someone to Jesus is they get more and more defiant and say, no, I, I believe what I believe. Why are you trying to change me? Um, but building relationship with someone and inviting them into the story and saying, hey, I just I just want to love you. You know, I just mm -hmm. want to be your friend. Um, I just want to get to know you. I feel like. You know, those are the times where I, I feel like people are most often, you know, more receptive to hear about the story, to hear about Jesus and to hear about who he is. Um, and and yeah, I, th I think it just um, I think the approach can just really depend. And, and one of the things that I was hearing and what you were just saying was when we approach someone on the street. It, it's about us. It's not about that other person mm -hmm. often, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, I'm going to go do great, great things for Jesus today. Yeah. And I'm going to show off what yeah, I know. And, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to argue someone to the Lord. And, and I think, I think you could be walking down the street and, and the Holy Spirit could absolutely convict you. Hey, yeah. that guy standing there, go up and start a conversation. Yeah. You might be terrified. You might start talking and maybe, maybe it'll be the perfect moment. Um, but that's, um, the spirit prompting you out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. not you going and doing big things yeah, for Jesus yeah. just because you feel like it that day. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know that um, a really um, strange circumstance in my life was I was on a train trapped in the snow in 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 northern Scotland and and had an opportunity to share about the Lord with someone in mm -hmm. in just a totally unexpected way. Yeah. Um, but it was a it was such a natural conversation, you know, yep. I didn't, I didn't force it. I didn't lead it there and God provided a moment. Yep. And, um, and that could be, you know, with a cashier or standing in line with someone or, you know, but, um, is your heart like, wow, God, can you provide me an opportunity in this conversation? Yeah. Is your heart like, well, I'm going to be able to go to Bible study tonight <laughs> yeah. and tell everybody that yeah. I evangelized. <laughs> Yeah. Discern discernment is huge within that. So I, I don't know if you guys have seen this video that made its way around social media recently where, um, uh, I mean, you just traveled on a plane with children. Uh -huh. Assume that wasn't the most pleasant of times and it was, you know, 
probably minorly stressful at times, if not majorly stressful at times. But our kids are pretty good. But yeah, there's yeah, always yeah. stress there. Yeah. So if you're not a believer and you're going through that time and you're traveling, would it be awesome to have your flight delayed while you're on the plane and then people just break out in worship songs and kind of force you to be hearing what their beliefs are and, and things of that nature? Probably not. I personally would not be in my most receptive state in that moment. Yeah, I, neither would I. But that's something that happened and it made its way around social media. And, you know, people are just kind of tearing it apart, saying, you know, just how upset they would be if they were on that plane. Right. And it's not necessarily something where I'm saying, you know, like, oh, they're they're terrible for doing that, blah, blah, blah. But might not have been the right time, you know, and there might be some people who really, um, you know, disliked what they did um didn't want to hear it in that moment but naturally things coming up you know like there's some times where naturally i just start talking to the person who's sitting next to me on a plane right and just naturally you know one of the questions that's most often asked is well what do you do for a living you know and i'm a pastor and oh tell me about that you know naturally it's just it's come up in conversation I'm typically a little bit more uncomfy just sharing who I am and, you know, what I do and, and all that stuff and what I believe with people randomly that I've just met. Um, but sometimes it just comes up in conversation and it sounds like for you, it pretty naturally came up. Um, but I tend to find that people don't like things being forced upon them. So, yeah. Well, and I think I, w I was thinking about a, um, an analogy here. I think that there's a difference. We often approach sharing the gospel like we're trying to get people to sign a petition which nobody likes, right? Like my favorite, like uh, it was such a relief in California to be able to tell the person I was passing that I'm not a voter, I'm not a registered voter in California. I could just walk past. What if instead of approaching it, like trying to get people to sign a petition, we were approaching it like sharing our favorite book series with people. Like yeah. what we love about our favorite movie series or our fa like what we love about the characters and why we care so much about it. Like when you've talked to, you can talk to a fan of something and, and understand why they love it, even if you don't end up loving it yourself, um, because that's infectious and you fall in love with the characters and what the story means and how it gives purpose to things and, and casts a vision. It's a totally different experience than being asked to sign a petition. I, I will, I completely agree with you. I will say, though, that um, we can't necessarily base whether or not we've been faithful to the Lord based on the reaction of the person that we're sharing with. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Because yeah. we see examples um, in the New Testament of people being faithful to the Lord and then others trying to kill them or actually killing them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so, you know, you might feel very convicted or a natural opportunity might come up and and you're praying and you're being faithful and you 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 share with someone and you're you're caring about this person and you're loving them, whether it's a stranger or someone you deeply, deeply know. And and they respond in anger or hatred or upset or they, you know, delete you on Facebook or you're not welcome in their home anymore. And you're just like confused. I thought I was being faithful and you still might have been, yeah. you know, you know, if, if God prompts you to do something, you you do it. And and the other person you know, God is responsible for them. You're not responsible for, for, um, for their reaction. You are just responsible to be faithful to what God calls you to. Yeah. The example I like for that is comparing Jonah and Jeremiah because Jonah is like this unfaithful prophet and has the greatest respite. He preaches to the the city of evil and everybody repents. He preaches the worst sermon ever. They all <laughs> repent. Jeremiah spends his entire career preaching to 
Jerusalem, the city of God, and gets rejected. They try to kill him, you know, just constant failure. And yet he is incredibly faithful. Mm -hmm. Yeah.